Whenever a tragic event happens in our world today, the media is quick to seek the opinion of people. In a lot of cases, celebrities, what we would call important people in our society, as if their opinion was more important than the opinion of any common person on the street, like you and me. But often, they'll stick a microphone in somebody's face and say, well, what do you think of what happened? You know, what's your take on this? Maybe some tragedy or something like that. And often celebrities or politicians, they like to get behind the microphone too. They're usually trained on how to deal with the media and to always appear concerned or compassionate, even when they may not be. Uh, they'll often say things like, uh, well, our thoughts and our prayers go out to that country or our thoughts and our prayers go out to that family or all that suffered in this tragedy. It's kind of like a political correctness. And you like to think that in most cases they actually feel that way and they're not just, you know, appearing that way in front of the camera. But here in Luke chapter 13, something similar happened. There was a tragedy, in fact, a couple of tragedies. And even though they didn't have microphones at that time, they came to Jesus to ask his opinion on what happened. And his answer uh, seemed to be, to be quite different. Uh, in the age of political correctness today, uh, Jesus' reply doesn't seem, at the surface, to be very compassionate. Uh, don't get me wrong, Jesus was a very compassionate person, and he often spoke and acted with emotion. And there are scriptures we could look to, uh, Luke 19, verse 41, where he approached Jerusalem just before his crucifixion and actually wept. He was brought to the point of tears because he knew what was going to happen to that city eventually with the invasion by the, the Roman armies. So, yeah, Jesus was compassionate and he was emotional. But in this particular case, he comes across differently. We're going to get into this and understand exactly why. Luke 13, beginning in verse 1, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So, as we know, sacrifices only took place at the temple in Jerusalem, and people from surrounding towns and suburbs, uh, if they wanted to, to praise God or worship Him for whatever reason, they would have to come to Jerusalem to the temple. And in this particular case, a group of people from Galilee had come to the temple to offer sacrifices. And for some reason, we don't know all the details, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who was, you know, the uh, person in charge there at the time, he ended up killing some of them. We don't know the reasons. Maybe they did something wrong or he interpreted them as doing something wrong. But he mixed their blood with the blood of the sacrifices that the people came to offer. Verse 2, Jesus answered, so they said, well, what do you think of this, this tragedy that happened? And here's Jesus' answer. Now, notice he doesn't say, well, you know, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to these people and to the families. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they, because they suffered this way? Now, Jesus was known for making shocking statements from time to time. Remember one time he said, uh, unless you eat 
the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And people were just stunned when he said that. Or remember the time uh, the person came to him and said, Lord, I want to follow you, but you know, my dad is getting old and uh, thinking about you know, what it's going to take to eventually bury him. And what did Jesus say? Let the dead bury their dead. Wow. Shocking. It certainly it doesn't come across as being politically correct in our society today. But you see, Jesus spoke like this for a reason. Now he goes on to say in verse 3, after having said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then another example of a tragedy that just happened, he says, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. So the Bible doesn't explain any more details about that, but some tragedy, a tower was likely being built in the town of Siloam and maybe under construction something happened. There was a, a collapse of the building and 18 people died when this tower fell on them. Jesus says, do you think that they were more guilty than all the other living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now understand that Jesus came across this way because he was speaking to unsaved individuals. That's, I think, why he was so harsh with them. And he knew that these people who had asked him these questions were people who needed to have a wake-up call on the subject of God, sin, judgment, and salvation. So Jesus must have sensed that these people were judging those who suffered and died, thinking that they must have been terrible sinners. Jesus is telling them, don't judge or condemn others when they suffer misfortune, thinking that they must have done something bad to deserve this. We shouldn't be people like that. You know, don't rejoice. I think the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, don't rejoice at the misfortune of others and don't judge at the misfortune of others. And I wonder if we have done that in our lives at some time. I know I have, going back years and years and years. When you hear something bad that happened to somebody, you think, boy, I wonder what they did that that happened to them. You know, if, if they were sinners or, or what the case was. Remember years ago when a really bad hurricane hit uh, New Orleans. I forget the name of that hurricane years ago. It pro was probably, what, a decade ago or so. And so many people died. There was such destruction. And I literally heard, not from this group here, I literally heard a person talking saying, well, you know, I'm not surprised that that hit uh, New Orleans like that, because you know what happens in New Orleans around Mardi Gras time, all the sinfulness and the drunkenness and, you know, all this kind of stuff going on. And, and they were judging the city of New Orleans because a hurricane hit them, and they were thinking that these people must really be sinners there. Or if an uh, earthquake hits uh, California, people think, well, you know what goes on in California these days. You know, I'm not surprised that they had a, a big uh, 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 earthquake like that. 
So Jesus, I think, was sensing that these people are asking these questions to Jesus in a way that they're judging those people. These bad things happen, Lord. What do you think about that? You know, uh, don't you think these people are, are evil or they're greater sinners than anybody else? Jesus said, don't condemn others who are suffering misfortune. In verse 3 here, he mentions the other event. You know, the first event was probably political with uh, Pontius Pilate killing people coming to offer sacrifices. The, the second event was an accident of some kind where the tower fell killing these people. But the lesson is the same. It's wrong to assume that the victims were worse sinners than everybody else and therefore deserve to die. Because Jesus is trying to make plain, we're all sinners. And maybe you should feel uh, thankful that that tower didn't fall on you. Or maybe you should give thanks that you weren't a part of that group that uh, Pontius Pilate came in and, and killed with the sword as you were offering sacrifices. You know, there are uh, several scriptures that, that prove this thing that, you know, the bottom line is we're all sinners. And, you know, we have to see things the way God sees them. And in a lot of cases, God sees things differently than we do. Romans 3, verse 10. Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's the way God looks at it. He looks at a fallen world, and we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Again, in Romans, uh, in verse 23 of the same chapter, Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same state of affairs. We're all in the same predicament. We're all sinners. And there's something about uh, human beings in our carnal nature. We like to look at other people who we think are worse than us and judge them. Well, you see, this happened to you because you're a worse sinner than anybody else. But God doesn't look at it that way. He doesn't compare sinners, which are worse and, and which are better. He looks at us as all sinners. We're all sinners. So that's the first lesson Jesus teaches. Don't judge other people who have misfortunes. You are just as big a sinner as they are. And who are you to judge? The second lesson that Jesus taught concerning these events is that everyone needs to repent now. Everyone needs to repent now. That's why he said, unless you repent, you too will perish. So he's, he's giving us the overview here. Tragedies happen unexpectedly. And before you fall victim to one, Jesus says, you need to repent of your sins and be reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Instead of focusing on other people's sins, focus on your own. Rather than assigning wickedness to those killed in tragedies, examine your own heart. And by the way, time is of the essence because you don't know how long you're going to live. So act now. This is the point that Jesus is trying to get across. Don't forget, he knows he's speaking to unsaved people. And these people are judging poor souls who got killed for one reason or another, either accidentally or by, you know, the, 
the uh, ruling monarch, we tend to judge each other for a, from a comparative point of view. That's human nature. I'm not accusing any of you of doing it, but we all do it, I think. I know I do from time to time, not as much as I used to. But we judge one another from a comparative point of view. Okay, you know, I admit, I've sinned in my life. But thankfully, I'm not as bad as that guy. <laughs> Remember when these two people came to worship at the temple, Jesus told the parable, uh, one was a Pharisee, and he came in and said, uh, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this publican over here. You know, I pay my tithe on a regular basis. I do this, I do that, but I'm not as bad as that guy. But then this other poor publican, he came into the temple. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to God, but he, he spoke his breast and said, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Jesus asked the question, which of those two guys do you think left that temple justified in God's sight? And the answer was the publican, the guy who was humble and just focused on his own sins and repented for his own sins. It wasn't the Pharisee who spent his time looking down at other people who he thought were worse than he was. So that's self-righteousness. God doesn't respond to that sort of thing. So we judge each other for, from a comparative point of view. Who is the worst sinner? God judges on the basis of whether you're under grace or not. If you're not under grace, you're going to be judged by the law. That's what God says. So we're all sinners. We all need to come under God's grace. We all need to respond to the gospel repent of our sins, and accept Jesus as our personal Savior, then we're under grace, okay? Let's turn to James chapter 2. Funny thing about the law, if you don't come under God's grace, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, you're in deep doo-doo, as the, the saying goes. You're doomed. You're doomed. Because it doesn't do any good to compare yourself to other people and say, well, you know, I, got my, I know I got my problems, but that guy's so much worse than me. No, we need to judge ourselves personally. We need to look at our own sins and repent of our own sins and don't worry about other people. Because you might think you're better than somebody else, but notice what it says here in James 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. Amen. What does that mean? Well, you can go through your life you know, as a pretty good person, and none of us are, really, when you come right down to it. But if you just break one law, you think, well, you see, I'm better than all these other uh, lawbreakers or sinners because I only broke one. James said, Forget about it. Because if you only broke one, and none of us only broke one, if you only broke one law, you are guilty of breaking them all. That's the way the law works. It is an inclusive thing. You don't pick and choose when it comes to the law. Either you keep the whole thing, or you have failed. And you will be judged by the law as a lawbreaker and as a sinner. That's the way God looks at it. It's all or nothing. 
So you are either under God's grace because you've repented and accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, or you will be judged by the law. And you have broken the law, and even if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. And what is your judgment going to be? You don't have a chance. You don't have a prayer. If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior in this life, there's going to be a time when you come before God and you're not going to be able to explain yourself because your life has already demonstrated what you are. A sinner, a rebel from God, and sorry, you're already proclaimed guilty. Because God knows. You want to bring up a, a, you know, evidence of what you've done in your life? I'm sure God is going to have a way to do that. Replay the video. Let's see him or her doing all the things that they uh, say that they never did. And I'm sure God would have the proof of that. None of us want to be in that predicament. None of us want to be judged by the law. Because in advance, I can tell you, you're doomed. You've broken the law, and even if you've broken just one, and none of us have broken just one, but even if you did, you've broken them all. So that's the way God looks at judgment. If you're not under grace, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. If you're under grace, there is now no condemnation of you. As it says in Romans 8, verse 1, one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. And it breaks me up every time I read it. Romans 8, verse 1. This is talking to people who are under grace, who have repented and accepted Jesus as their Savior. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what category do you want to be in? This is what Jesus is saying to these people. This is why he didn't come across to them the way they anticipated. He realized that these people are unsaved, and instead of letting these tragedies have an effect on them to the point that they start thinking, wow, you know, that could have been me that that tower fell on. I better change my life around. I better seek God, you know, while I'm still alive because my life could end any day. So Jesus is using a very strong approach on these people because he knows this is, this is what they need to hear. So just as a general rule in our lives today, you cannot identify how bad people are by how much they suffer in this world. You just can't. We're not called to do that. We're not called to judge people and say, well, I wonder why that happened to them. They must really be bad people. No, sometimes bad things happen to believers. You know, when the planes hit the uh, World Trade Center years ago, some of those people in there who died were Christians. So you don't know. You don't know how long you have on this earth. What you do know and what you need to believe is you need to get your life in order. Now, I know I'm speaking to Christians here, but, you know, this is the perspective Jesus gives us. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He's not talking about a building falling on, on them. He's talking about the ultimate perishing that all will experience who do not repent. Eternal death. The wages of sin is death. So there's a death in this world. We know we live a certain number of years, and then we all die, and there's the judgment. But if you don't pass the judgment, if you don't 
have God's grace, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your self-proclaimed personal savior, there's gonna be an eternal death. Now, you know, it's very plain. This whole judgment business is very plain. I was raised in the Catholic Church, as some of you were, and it's a very complicated and convoluted system that they have because there are different types of sins. There are the really bad sins and there are the not so bad sins, okay? Uh, mortal sins and what are they called? Venial sins. And you had to go and to the confessional on a regular basis and confess your sins to the priest. And if it should happen that you die with sins on your soul as they taught and uh, you died and they weren't confessed sins, then you're in real trouble. Because if you have mortal sins on your soul, you're gonna go straight to hell, buddy. No doubt about it. But if your sins are not so bad, you're not good enough to go to heaven, you're not bad enough to go to hell, there's a, an in-between place that they, they kind of designed, which is not biblical, a place called purgatory, where all the badness is gonna be purged out of you over a period of time, so you could eventually get to heaven. But of course, none of that is true. There's only two places to be, with God for all eternity or away from God for all eternity. The choice is yours. And you need to make the choice now because you don't know how long your life is gonna last. You can get sick and die very quickly. You can uh, have a tower fall on you. And you don't even know what happened to you. It hit you so hard. So Jesus is warning these people, listen, I don't want to be glib about it, but you need to learn a lesson from these events. And the lesson is you need to seek God now. You need to repent of your sins. You need to come under God's grace. And if you don't, bad things are going to happen to you. And it's because of your own fault. You know, you've made the wrong decisions. You haven't seen it necessary to see God while he could be found, and now you're going to suffer the consequences. Let's go back here to Luke 13 and read on a little bit more. To drive the point home, Jesus gives a real nice parable here. But he's talking about the same subject. Luke 13, and we'll pick up the story in verse 6 now. So get, get the message of, of what he just said to these people. So he, then he told this parable. Now, now think of this parable in terms of what we've just discussed, what Jesus has just taught. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, don't look at this parable the wrong way. I used to think that the one person was God the Father and then the, uh, the guy who worked the garden was Jesus Christ and God the Father's real harsh and Jesus Christ is very easygoing. No, it's just a man who owned a uh, vineyard 
and the guy who took care of the vineyard. Just look at it in physical terms here because I don't want to give that impression that God the Father is harsh and Jesus is more forgiving because that's not the case. They're both the same. What the parable is teaching here is God can give extra time. You know, you weren't the one that the tower fell on. You weren't the one who was killed with the sword by Pilate in the temple. So give thanks that you didn't die that way. But now take advantage of the extra time God has given you. Extra time. And seek the Lord now. Don't put it off any longer. And that's what the lesson is where leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. Then if not, cut it down. So that should be our reaction whenever we hear news of some tragedy that happens in the world or in our country. Give thanks. Father, I'm, I'm sorry for what happened. I feel bad for the people who suffered. But personally speaking, wow, I realize that that could have happened to me. And I'm glad it didn't. But now let me make use of this extra time you've given me in my life. I didn't suffer in that tragedy. You know, some of us here have had near misses, maybe a, missing a bad accident by a split second or having a terrible disease and then being restored from it. Look at that as God giving you extra time to now do the right thing. What is the right thing? Repent, accept Jesus as your savior. You don't want to be dead to suffer this death for all eternity because of your sins. You know, there is one example that comes to mind very quickly here in Revelation 16. Last scripture. Revelation 16, verse uh, 8. Here's a description in the book of Revelation of a time of suffering, whether it's a worldwide time of suffering or just prior to, to Jesus' return. And it describes the reaction of the people here. Revelation 16, verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. So sometimes God allows tragedies to happen, uh, death to happen, and it's for a purpose. He's allowing it so that people will respond and seek God, repent of their sins. He's reminding us that we all deserve to experience this suffering or worse. Let's not be those who refuse to repent. All human suffering is meant to summon us all to repentance toward God. So think about that. You know, sometimes when we have prayer requests here, I pray not only for healing, but that God will use that situation that this person is going through for that person to come closer to God, for their eyes to be open, for them to kind of come to their senses and realize, wow, I got this terrible disease here out of the blue. I could have died from it, but God spared me. He healed me, he gave me extra time so that now I can seek God with all my heart, repent of my sins, accept Jesus as my personal savior. That's what God intends when suffering happens, when death happens. 
So I know I'm speaking to the choir here, but uh, share this message with whomever you can. When people are going through tough times, we might suggest that, hey, it might be a good idea for you to seek God right now. Repent of your sins. Ask Jesus to be your personal savior, because that's what the purpose of it is all about.